0: To you last week, I had to bolt right afterwards on that because August 2nd was the uh, what we call the angel bursary of one of my officers who was killed in the line of duty, uh, Deputy Sheriff Michael Callen. But uh, I just kind of want to tell you a little bit, finish up for how that kind of day went, because it was really cool, just really awesome. And the Callen family is a, is a, is a family that I got to, to watch go through the tragedy that they went through with losing their son, and he was one of my motor officers, as you know, and that happened on August 2nd. He actually died on August 2nd. He was hit on August 1st. So for 24 hours, I just uh, I'll never forget spending 24 hours in that hospital because we thought he was going to live we thought he was going to make it and ultimately he passed on but i also never forget watching that family go through that tragedy um, uh, and i also never forget watching them go through that tragedy and then later on in my life like I told you losing my own son how important, how critical to watch their witness was to me so just amazing so I left here and I ran over there and got an opportunity to spend time with that family and some other families and uh, we had a golf tournament out there a lot of retired folks so it's a great kind of a home day but spent time with the Callan family and then we have a a section on a golf course that's called our heroes section which has all our law enforcement officers from central Florida who had been killed in the line of duty, and as I look down there, there was actually, I think, about 17 of them right there, and I'm looking down there, and I'm like, I knew every one of these guys, and five of these guys worked for me, and I'm just like, man, thinking about, last week we talked about Breach Point, you know, how many Breach Points have we kind of been through in our life and for all these folks, but I got a really cool opportunity to talk to, if you don't know, uh, Miss Norma Lewis, and she is just an awesome lady, man. Everybody, Anybody met Norma, they are just going to absolutely love her, but Norma sits, sits out in the heroes with a, with a, with all the flags, with all the uh, officers that are on air, and her son Norm Lewis, who was killed just about a year and a half ago at the end of 2017. You guys probably remember uh, Lieutenant Deborah Clayton, who was uh, you know horribly murdered um, uh, in Orlando, and Norm was responding to help her, and he got he got hit and struck and killed. Um, so Miss Lewis had to had to watch her. You know, had to bury her child, and I know how difficult that is. But what you don't know is that four months later, her husband died as well. Uh, so talk about you know just such such a tragedy in their life. But what's truly amazing is I got some some amazing time to spend with Miss Norma and just to kind of love on her and talk to her and and just really spend quality time with her. And even through her pain and through her tears. You know, it's such a terrible time for her, but she still praises God. Isn't that amazing? Just absolutely amazing. And uh, I want to share something a little bit, something to you that I had, actually hadn't sh- prepared to share. But this is so critical and so important. We're going to talk about stepping outside of our box. And I know that, uh, from my perspective, I know that it's difficult sometimes to talk to people who have loved lost ones, especially for those of us who have lost the children. It actually is more difficult for you to bring my son up than it is for me to hear about it. And let me give you this one little piece of advice, this one little tidbit if I can. Right? Oftentimes people think that bringing my son up is going to remind me of their death. But listen, I'll never forget that. I will never forget that time. But the fact that you bring my son up to me Or any other person reminds us that you didn't forget our son. Reminds us of what impact they have had on our lives. And that is just truly amazing. But in order for that to happen, you have to step outside of your box and be willing to share that. And that's on us. That's not on other people. So guys, this week we're in Ecclesiastes still, chapter 7, right? We're going to move down to the middle Part of this, I kind of pick uh, five through 11 there because there's just so much in there. And this, I to me, covers some really heavy topics for men. It talks about the proud in spirit will not take instructions very well. Hmm, how many of us are there? But those who are patient will make fewer mistakes. And I like to say this um, everything matters what we do in our lives. Everything, every opportunity we get to serve, every person that we get to come in contact with, whether we're walking into Wawa across the street and we see a homeless person sitting outside and you feel that tug that you should say something or do something or just a smile or make contact, every little thing we do in life matters, guys. And as we look through and we go through Ecclesiastes, you know, we, we get some of these things. Let's, let's share some of these things in chapter 7. Uh, I'm going to run down to verse, verse 5 right here. It, and this is NIV that I'm going to read from today. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the songs of fools like the cracking of thorns under the pot. So is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Move down to 8 now. The end of the matter is better than the beginning, and patience is better than pride. And do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Man, that's a lot there. And as we go through Ecclesiastes, I think I see a transition here. And that transition is you know, we're reading and we're talking all these months about everything being meaningless, but ultimately, everything is not meaningless, right? Ultimately, everything we do matters. I've heard this for over three decades by a great friend of mine some of you guys know him in here uh, who's on the SWAT team with me former commander Tom Stroop I'll never remember just being young he would tell me all the time everything matters everything that you do every decision that you make matters every bit of preparation that you do prepare for whatever mission that we have whatever critical thing that we're going to do it matters in life so does our spiritual life matter Everything matters. So, guys, a few months ago, I, I remember kind of hearing a sermon about uh, uh, the first miracle, and I remember I've heard this sermon before. I've read this first sermon a hundred times, right? I read this. What's the first miracle? It turns water into wine. I don't know about you, but I'm just going to be honest here, right? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He made blind people see. He took leprosy and just like just disappeared off of their body. Does anybody kind of think like, if I was going to come out of the chute with like a miracle, you know, how important is this? (laughs) How important is just turning water into wine? Are you kidding me? Dude, Dude, look what you can do. And you can turn water into wine. And look, I've read this so many times. And then I heard a message about it. And the message told me the same thing. How is this the first miracle? But it is if we look at and we start to read and we start to dissect this miracle. Because Jesus speaks in symbolism all the time, right? He talks about symbolism. This is a symbolism for the rest of the story. Right? What happens first? Mary comes to him. He comes to Jesus and says, Look, we're out of wine. We got this big party going on, there was a wedding, we got all these people here, we're out of wine. And what does Jesus do? <laughs> Come on, woman. Are you are you serious? Can you imagine saying that to your mama? <laughs> it's, not it's not my time. That's what he says. Not quite rebuking her, but he kind of kinda pushes her off a little bit, doesn't he? Listen, if we think about Jesus' mother, Jesus' mother loved him to no end. Can we admit that? Could you imagine how much love? I know how much love a mother has for a son. It's just just incredible. But guys, this represents the love that God has for us and is calling us to do something. And what do we do? Nah, I'm gonna get to that later. I'm gonna do that at a different time. I got time to do that, I got better things to be doing. Right? And he turns water into wine. What wine? Why wine? You're just going to get everybody drunk. But wine represents what? Grapes. and represents the vine. When we look through the Bible and we study through the Bible, the vine is always representative of our spiritual life. It's our life. Think about what it takes to grow that grape. The bottom of that is what? The roots. And the roots suck up the water and the nutrients in the ground. And they pull that. It's needed to create that stem. Those nutrients are the Bible that we are supposed to be and we should be in every single day. Not once a week, not on Friday mornings at Ironman, not on Sunday when we go to church. It's every single day. Because out of that produces that vine. And out of that vine produces the stems and then the leaves. Then ultimately the grapes, which are bursting with everything that flows from inside it. And that is a representative of what Christ is to us. He also does what? He fills up how many cisterns? Six. Not seven. Seven is completion always in the Bible, isn't it? He fills up six. And what does He have them do? He has them empty the cistern. He has them empty the water completely. Just like we're supposed to empty ourselves completely, guys. And then He fills it back up with the best wine, which is Him and the Spirit. But the only way that we can get that is to be in here. And the only way that we can get that is to be here at Ironman, connected with one another. And the only way that we can take advantage of this team that we have created here is if we practice, if we train, if we are ready and we are prepared for walking outside and to understand that everything out there matters. Everything matters. There's not nothing, a single thing. Guys, we need to get serious about our faith. About a year and a half ago, Rob Otto came and spoke at Iron Man, and he he gave me this book when he came out to uh, Special Ops Day, which we're going to do pretty soon, Rise Up. If you haven't got a chance to read it, please read it. If you need a copy, you're welcome to borrow mine at the end. Man, this is kind of an Ecclesiastes book. It tells you, get with it. Right? He's the critic. He's Colette. He's my old SWAT commander, right? Life sucks, then you die. Do something about it in the middle. This tells it here. But he does some amazing research, guys. i got to share this with you. In one of his chapters called Revolutionaries, Born Again Christians, in 2005 research, he says, born again Christians who've made the faith who made their faith in God the highest priority versus Christians who attended church. And this is research out of over 22,000 people. 23% of these people read their Bible daily. 31% of these people had daily quiet time. 12% read their Bible as a family. Now I know I'm probably looking around the room, I'm going to look at myself first and go, man, am I in some of these percentages right here. I love this quote in his book down here and I I wrote it down and these are my notes not from his book because I feel it's important I write it down Pastor Kurt Hughes says this you cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you don't know right by that which you don't know so guys as I finish up here I want to ask you this and this is one of the last questions I'm going to ask the table captains to ask it first we are all in this box, right? We are comfortable in here. The military group, we're comfortable talking about tactics. We're comfortable about talking about security. We know the ins and outs. But guys, I'm asking us to step just outside of that box. I'm not asking you to step way over there. But as men, as spiritual leaders in our families and our communities, we have got to step outside of that box and meet people where they're at. That's what Jesus did. That is our job and that's what we're supposed to do. What does it cost you to be a follower of Christ? And I'm going to ask you that question. This question was posed to me a couple years ago actually by our pastor in a follow-up men's group. I'll never forget because it was humbling. I sat there and we had a men's group and there was a guy that I met for the first time. His name is Paul Leggy. He's a missionary. Some of you guys have met him. I brought him here when he comes back. He's a missionary in Morocco. Right? Morocco is, general, a Muslim country, isn't it? It's against the law, the proselytize in there. But he's a missionary. <clears throat> so we're going around a room talking, what does it cost? You know, what does it really cost me to be a Christian? People can make fun of me. People can say this. People can say that. You know, maybe I can get myself in trouble because I'm a public employee. You know, all these things can... These are things that we're talking about. He says, I'm a missionary in Morocco. If I proselytize these folks, I can go to jail. I can be arrested. I'm here right now for three months because in, th- in three months, I'm taking my wife and my three kids to live in Morocco for a three-year stint. And we're hoping to live there longer. And I'm like, wow. Shame on me. I'm not going to get jailed if I talk about Jesus. I'm not going to... I'm the worst that I could have is somebody make fun of me, to be honest with you. And then the last thing, as we're gonna, going to around, I kind of asked Paul. Paul's become a friend now. We, we talk back and forth on, uh, on email, but even on email, right? I can't talk about certain things because the government watches their email over there. Uh, and I asked him this really question. He'd been in Morocco for a year. And what they have is they have a, an orphanage there. They're allowed to take the children that are dropped off, they don't have ownership of the children, they could go back to their family at any time, but they take these children, they love on these children, and they try to preach the word through showing the word. But I asked him this this question that just blew my mind. I said, Paul, you've been there. I'm like, man, you've been there a year, you're a mission, you're on, you're on fire for Christ. Man, this has got to be amazing. How many people have you converted to Christianity? And he said, I almost have one. I almost have one. Like, wow, what do you mean you almost have one? He goes, listen, Dave, what we're talking about is important. He goes, mostly I'm dealing with prostitutes or, or women in this area uh, with the children. He goes, and if they convert to Christianity, they no longer have a family. If they convert to Christianity, they could be jailed. If they convert to Christianity, they'll no longer have a job. And we're talking about what it takes, what sacrifices do we give up to be a Christian. Man, that was like one of the most humbling stories I'd ever heard. Shame on me. So guys, if you get an opportunity to read this book, please do. And I hope that uh, the questions that we have today really kind of challenge us to step outside of our box and to kind of ask and to think about what it is, what it costs us to call ourselves a Christian in this great nation that we live in. All right, guys, table captains. I'll let you-